Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you made it out with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor here on behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff, all of our volunteers who came and set up for you. We're so glad that you're here with us today, especially if you're with us for the very first time as our guests. We're so happy that you're here. Hey, I always encourage our guests to come at least three times. Everybody say three times. Here's why, because I've noticed that when I go to a place, sometimes they didn't get it right the first time, you know what I mean? And so you don't get always the opportunity to see what a place really is like unless you come a few times. And so uh, my goal and my hope is that you would come and be a part of our family, and hopefully you would find a, what we call it, spiritual family here. And so, so glad that you're here with us for the very first time. Also, want to welcome everybody watching on our Facebook Live in Digital Lance. You might be in your PJs right now, or you're watching at a separate time. So happy that you're with us. We are going to be in the book of Colossians today, the book of Colossians. We're going to be in chapter number two, and uh, we are in the middle of a series called Greater Than. Everybody say Greater Than. And uh, we were really, the reason we wanted to do this is because it's really a study of the book of Colossians, and I love the Bible, and I want you to love the Bible. I want you to have permission to open it up when you're at home and, and actually get a Bible and start reading through it and pick a translation. And honestly, I, as long as you're reading the Bible, that's good enough for me. And so we're, uh, we're going to walk through Colossians chapter 2. Also, we have my notes on version, and so all you have to do is uh, open up your, your, uh, your smartphone and download the Bible app from Life Church, and uh, you can search for us in the events, and you get all my notes for free. I give them to you ahead of time. So for you high C personalities who want to know where we're going and all the structure and all the outline, there you go. That's my gift to you. And so uh, also you can check in on Facebook if you have your phone right now. Can you use your phone in church? I hope so. I don't I don't know. I, I asked God. He said it was okay. So all right, go ahead and check in on Facebook. We're being Colossians chapter two. This is week three of the series Greater Than. And in week one, we talked about how Paul was writing a letter in the in around 60 AD. He's in a prison and he's writing to uh, the city in Colossians. He's really, it's a, Colossians is a book of the Bible. It's one we call the epistles. It's a letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote. It's in the New Testament. And he wrote to this city because the church planter there, Epiphas, he comes and he says, hey, Paul, you're my apostle. This church is messed up. You fix it. And so he writes this letter. And in the first part of the letter, he says, hey, we want you to know that we're praying for you. So Paul's never met these people, but he says, I'm praying for you because I want to pray for you. And he gives us some great ways to pray. And then week two, last week, we talked about how Paul moves into his first kind of correction for the church. He says, listen, you need to get your, your, your ideas straight on Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. You need to get under uh, an understanding, a clear vision of him. And we talked about it last week. I thought it was really good, but then again, I preached it. So you might want to go back and just determine for yourself. And, and, and it was really good just on how you see Jesus. And so today we're in Colossians chapter two. There's four books of the four chapters in Colossians. We're only in chapter two. I don't know if we're going to get through this book. So we're having an old-fashioned Bible study. So I'm just basically opening it up. I'm reading, and I'm writing down my thoughts. And then I'm sharing my thoughts with you. And if you don't agree with these thoughts, that's okay. It's America. You have the right to be wrong. So anyway, um, uh, week three, and, and he starts in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. I'll put it up on the screen if you don't have it. It says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you. I love this. It's like Paul's like, look, okay, chapter 2. I kind of talked to you about prayer, talked to you about Jesus. You need to know I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting so hard to protect you. For those who are at Leo, and for those who are at Laodicea, which is just a place right next to it, and for all who have not met me personally, remember he's never he's never even been there because he's in prison. You know his life is messed up, and so he goes on. He says, "My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love." Everybody say united. Yeah. Let me just tell you something right now. There's one thing that I'll get fired up about, and that's 
disunity, right? Like, like, like the idea that the enemy would come and sow seeds of, of just division in our church. And I want you to know we need to be ready for that because what we're about to do in the fall in September, and we're about to go to three services and the place is going to explode even more again, which by the way, we've been growing through the summer, which never happens at churches. God's doing something here. And when people start coming back to church in September, when the school year kind of settles down, I'm telling you, God's going to do an incredible thing. And the enemy wants to sow division. So Paul knows that in any type of church that's growing, he's like, I want you guys to be united in love so that you may be full of riches. Everybody say full. Yeah, I want to be full of riches and complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. I, I, I love that. Every time Paul talks about God, he says, just so you know, Jesus. All right. And then he goes, in whom are hidden all the treasures, wisdom, and knowledge. Like everything that we're, we're talking about, everything that we've, we, everything you're trying to figure out and everything you're trying to, trying to learn and, and just you're trying to get in your mind, it's all found in Jesus. And so today, if you're taking notes, the title of my message is uh, Jesus is greater than my gods and my goodness. Greater than my gods and my goodness. Everybody say my gods and my goodness. Come on, look at your neighbor and say my gods. And my goodness. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you, God. Thank you today that we're here. We're lifting up your name, Jesus. We're happy that this church is built on the one true king, the Messiah, the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. So honored to be in your presence. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just speak to us. I'm humbled that I get to stand on this platform every week and speak on your behalf. May I do it well. May I be clear, God, and may our, our hearts be open to receive it in Jesus' name. Everybody set. Hey, how many of y'all ever grew up with that friend that was just like bad news? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Y'all grew up with that friend who was just bad news? Some of you were. If you didn't raise your hand, you might have been the friend who was bad news. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I had a friend, and uh, I'm not going to tell you his name, but we, we just grew up in, in high school together. It's funny. I met a couple this week. I've never in my life met a couple this week. Went to my high school and literally grew up like where I lived at. And it was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, I went there for my high school years. And, and in Albuquerque, there, there, it's just a unique place. And, and um, I had a lot of friends, and some of them were good and some were bad. And I had a friend, and uh, one time it was, uh, it's, people don't know this, but like in Albuquerque, it does snow. And so there were some snowstorms and snow flurries that were happening in Albuquerque. And you wouldn't think in the Southwest, but it does. And uh, they have these, the freeway, some of the freeways, this, again, this is maybe 20 years ago now, so it might have changed, but like they had these freeways there that, uh, or these, the causeways or even just small roads that they, they would have them built high and they're kind of near arroyos. And so they'd have ditches on either side. And so anybody grew up in a place like that, like where, you know, you drove and it was kind of high and you, you, you had just ditches and one side was a ditch and like another side was another ditch, but it was filled with water. Somehow like it got water in it. And so they turned it into a river. I'm like, it's what you do in New Mexico. So I'm like, okay. And so we're driving and uh, it's raining and it's, or not, it's not raining, it's snowing. It's really, really bad. It's icy. And I was driving really kind of faster than I needed to because I was a teenager and that's what teenagers do. We push the limit. And so we're driving and my friend will always turn up the music really loud in the car and then he would distract me when I was driving. So like I'd be driving and he would like do stuff like, you know, cover your eyes with, I'm serious, like dumb stuff. Like he was a bad friend. Everybody say bad friend. Yeah. If you have somebody covering your eyes while you're driving, that's bad. Okay. So he's, he's driving, we're driving, he's distracting me. And then all of a sudden we're driving and it's in the snow and I'm kind of getting nervous. And my truck is starting to like, I had one of those V8, uh, Chevy Silverados. It was a 1994 V8 Chevy Silverado. And in those trucks, the back, it wasn't a four by four. The back wheels just spin. I mean, in snow. I mean, it was just V8. It was just all man 
muscle power truck, you know, as you can tell, I am that. And so he, we're driving and he kind of does something to me, messes with me, distracts me, causes me to kind of slip. And then my car, literally my truck started spinning down the freeway. Now, if you've ever been in a truck that's spinning down the freeway at a high rate of speed in the wintertime at night, uh, it's scary. And the only thing that happens in those moments is either you catch yourself or the ditch catches you. And so what happened with me was I didn't catch myself because, again, I'm a teenager. And the one thing that caught me was, guess what? You guessed it. The ditch. And so, uh, I, I mean, we veered off the road, and I'm in the ditch, and we get into there, and it's like snow everywhere, and there's cars like honking. On, like I, I'm like, why are you honking at me? I, don't, I know I'm in a ditch. You don't need to tell me that. And uh, so by that time, you know, somebody named, you know, uh, Bartholomew comes up, and he pulls up with his big truck, and he's got a trucker hat on and a beer belly, and he goes, looks like you got yourself into some trouble, huh? And I'm like, why would you even say that? Yes, I'm in a ditch. And so he pulls me out and it was a bad, it was all bad news. And so I had to, again, explain it to my mom and dad when I got home. But, but the, the, the issue is, is I noticed that when I was driving with my friend, I, I've noticed that like when I, when I wasn't paying attention and when I was like messing around and if I wasn't careful driving on the road, it was fairly easy for me to actually get into the ditch. And I've noticed that like, life is a little like that. Have you ever noticed that life doesn't seem to be straight? Like it's not a straightaway road where there's like birds chirping and the sun is shining and there's no traffic and you just seem to put it on cruise control. Has anybody ever noticed that life, you can't drive the roads of life in cruise control? You have to drive, you have to be like defensive driver 10 and 2, right? Because sometimes you don't know this, but like you'll be driving along and then life will sideswipe you and cut you off. And if you're not careful, certain things can come along in your life and throw you into a ditch. And when Paul was writing to the church at Colossia, he, what he was saying is you're saying, you got to be careful. Like there are some things that could come along and mess you up if you're not paying attention. And he even mentions this in verse 4 and 8. I'm going to read this to you. He says this in verse 4. He says, I tell you that no one may deceive you. I don't want you to get sideswiped. I don't want you to get dragged off. He says, by fine-sounding arguments. In verse 8, he kind of even presses even more. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive. Now that word captive is interesting because... When you're looking at captive people, he's, he's talking to you in a way that meant something to them. And I'm, I'm going to prove it to you in just a minute. He says, through, through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Everybody say philosophy. philosophy. Now, this is important because you and I would think, well, that's just a, a way of, of, of thinking. I'm going to show you what he was really saying. He says, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. He's saying, you and I need to know this principle. This is a good principle for all of us. We must be familiar with Satan's schemes. He's saying, like, Satan is not a dummy. And he is not a, a crazy person running around with a pitchfork with red horns. That he's been around since the beginning of time with God when God created him. And so he knows you and he knows me and he knows our ways and he's been around and he knows the human condition and he has the way. Like, I think sometimes we as Christians, you know, we like to try to say like, Satan ain't going to do nothing to me. Like, that's true. You have power over him. But if you're not careful and you don't know how he works, you won't know when he does work. And so he says, like, you, you got to be careful. There's some, there's some, like, evilness in the world. There's some, in fact, Paul even talks about it in the Corinthians. When he writes a letter to the Corinthian church, he says, this is, this is so good. He says, so that Satan will not outsmart us. He said, for are we familiar with his evil schemes? you got to be know what he does. 
Like you got to know his, his way. You got to know how he attacks you so that you can actually be mindful and don't get dragged off. Or, or even Paul even talks about being taken captive. There's a Greek word for captive there. And uh, we're going to go deep today. Y'all want to know the Greek word for captive there? It's going to be good. This is the Greek word for captive. It's literally, it's pronounced sulagogeo. Everybody say that. Say sulagogeo. Yeah, what it means is he says he doesn't want you to be carried off as a captive. And what you would use that term or that sentence or that word is when you were talk about like if you had captured, if you took over a city and then you dragged off their people, you took them out of their own world, their own promised land, their own city, come on, their own blessing. And you took them off and made them captives. You now made them prisoners. He's saying, listen, there's a lot of people in this church now that are growing. It's a great growing church and you're bringing the message of Jesus. And there was a growing faction called the philosophers, literally. And they taught what was called the philosophy back then. You go study it. Scholars knew that there was this growing faction of people called the philosophers. They would teach what's called literally, quote unquote, the philosophy. That's how they were known. And it was a growing false teaching faction that would got into the church and taught two ditches of this thing called life. And he says, if you're not careful, this like false teachings can get up in the church and then get up in your life. And then all of a sudden you could be driving in the life like you're supposed to be living. And then you just all of a sudden end up in a ditch and you won't even know it because it sounds really good. Fine sounding arguments. False teaching doesn't sound like false teaching. Because because the funny thing is, is like. People, I just think we, we sometimes are, are not, ig- we're ignorant t- to the enemy's ways. And so Paul says, I want to bring these two to you today. And that's what I'm going to talk about. He says, I want to be my, I want to protect you. I want to fight for you. I'm fighting. I'm contending. I'm fighting the enemy. And I'm fighting this growing group of teaching that's not going to be helpful. It's going to be hurtful. And he says, there's two ditches I want to keep you from. The first one is this. This is the first ditch that Paul is fighting to protect us from. The first one. So we have this life, right? And this is our road of life. He said, the first ditch, if you're not careful. So these are our ditches on the side. First one is paganism. And paganism, he, he, he outlines it a little bit. And I'm going to give you just a simple kind of summary of paganism. It's, it's Jesus plus someone equals everything. So he's saying, listen, you, 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 there's this growing teaching that's teaching you that Jesus wasn't enough. So you have to serve and worship and bow down to other gods. Someone, you have to create an identity in these, these little figurines that, that are idols that are not God. And you got to be careful because if you're not careful, God is not enough. Jesus is not enough. And so if you're not careful, you, you really need someone else. And then once you add someone else to Jesus, then you get everything else. I'll show it to you. Colossians chapter two, verse 8 it says this this is good he says see it to it that no one takes you captive through hollow deceptive philosophies through human tradition and through elemental forces of this world rather than Christ so what he was naming what he was showing was that there was this tradition inside the Greek and Roman world that they were lived that they lived in where there were little gods like little g and they served gods not god and they worshiped them because that was what their culture knew And he says, I want you to be careful because paganism at its core is the belief that points you to anything other than Jesus. So Paul last week says, you got to be mindful and know how to see the creator. But now you need to also be mindful and know how you see the, the creation. So it's different. Last week we talked about Jesus and how you see Jesus can affect your life. Paul says today, how you see the things that he created can affect your life. 
Paganism is the worship of these little G gods that the culture was super familiar with. So, like, I just want to give you a list of just some of the gods they were familiar with back then. These are the Greek and Roman gods, okay? I'm just going to give you just so you're aware, so we're all aware. Because this is not, look, these are not gods we worship now. I just want to show you what primitive people who don't have internet worship, okay? All right. So Aphrodite was the goddess of beauty and love and desire and pleasure. This is a typical god at that time. Apollo, music and arts and knowledge. There's another one, Ares, war and bloodshed and violence. Again, these are no gods we serve now. And so Athena, reason and wisdom and intelligence, like we're smart and we don't need God and we've learned enough. I mean, they were smart back then. They had books, you know. And so uh, Dionysus, uh, wine and parties and chaos and and drunkenness, again, gods that they served back then, and Hades or Hades or however you want to call it, death and the underworld. I mean, these are some real-life cultural Greek and Roman gods. So I'm a pastor, and I look at that list, and I go, that sounds familiar. It feels like a familiar spirit, but just different names. So that's like Greek and Roman gods. So I started making the list of like American gods right? Or 21st century gods or whatever you want to call it. So this is my, you know, my list. I'm like, okay, how can I figure out the the American paganism that we live in? Okay, so Aphrodite, beauty, love, desire, and pleasure. I couldn't mark that one off. So I read a statistic, 85% of women apply average of 16 skincare cosmetic products daily and 84 billion, everybody say B, (laughs) yeah, billion dollar industry. But, But beauty and love and desire and pleasure. So I kept reading and researching and I kept thinking, I'm like, okay, what about um, uh, another one? It said every second, 28,258 people are watching porn. Every second, $3 million is spent on porn. Every second, everybody say second. Every second, 372 people are typing in the word adult in search engine. But again, these are old primitive gods, right? Okay, so then I kept just researching because I got the internet. I'm smart, right? I, it's on the internet. It's, it's real. So, okay. And so I went and I, I read that in the, the, the journal for psychiatry that they said codependency right now is at an all time high where people are looking to other people to fulfill their desires. But it's a primitive God. I'm like, okay, well, that's Aphrodite. Let's just, let's move on. Right? How about a different one? Apollo, music, arts, and knowledge. The, the average American spends 32 hours a week listening to music. Like, man, that's, I mean, I know that, like, we listen to it, but man, with the rise of streaming, you know, Pandora and Spotify and all these, it's like, it's easy nowadays to, but it's a, it's a, it's an old God. This is, I mean, it's not now. Aries, war, bloodshed, and violence. Most historians would actually credit the 20th century to be the bloodiest in modern history. That more people have died in the last hundred years than have in the first many, 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 many. And so we can look and we can excuse and we can like say we don't do that, but but statistics are not in our favor and your life is not in our favor and my life is not in our favor. In fact, if we were truly honest about the little gods that we serve, you and I all have some. And so 
the question Paul wanted us to ask is like, where am I paganistic? Like, you can't just be like, yeah, we shouldn't worship gods. People in the world, they shouldn't do that for shame. But you have to ask yourself, you got to make it personal. Where am I paganistic? Where do I worship little gods? Now, I know what you're thinking. I showed you some of those statistics and some things where you're like, well, some of those things aren't bad. And, you know, my church growing up or, or, or some churches that you grew up in, they would say, okay, well, if that's the statistic, then no makeup at all. Just get rid of it. And so what God meant to be a position problem now is made into a permission problem. And now you've confused what God was really and what really Paul was trying to tell you. Is that sometimes you got to, some lady told me, like, sometimes you got to paint the barn, Pastor. And I, okay, I get that. But you took, you took what, what God was trying to say. It's like, is there anything wrong with feeling good about yourself and looking nice? No. But he, what he's saying was he's saying, if you're looking to that thing to give you value, I'm the one who's supposed to be giving you value. I determine your value. You don't even determine your value because you fickle. And you emotional. And you got issues. And sometimes you wake up on the wrong, wrong side of the bed. Sometimes you don't even wake up on the bed. You fell off in the middle of the night and you can't get up. And so far be it from you at that moment to determine your own value. You can't even determine your value. So he's saying it's not a permission problem. It's a position problem. So you got to be careful with paganism. So the other ditch, some of you don't struggle with that. In fact, I would say, I would say that our culture struggles with it. But, but in Texas, that's a ditch. And that's, that's, a, good, that's a good ditch that we got to be careful for. I would argue to say the next ditch is actually harder and worse. He said, so, so this is the road. He said, okay, so maybe you don't deal with paganism. But, but now you deal with legalism. He goes on to, to, to say, he goes, God... This is, this is legalism. Jesus plus something equals everything. So now it's not someone. Now you didn't find it in a little God and an identity and like what, who that God is named and who that someone is. Now it's something. Now Jesus wasn't enough. And, and okay, so maybe you don't need a person, but now you need something. You've realized and you've shown in your life that you live your life because Jesus' grace was not enough. So you have to do something in order to keep him happy. And that'll give you everything. He says that's the other ditch that you could fall into. He points it out in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. He goes on to say, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival or the new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. Look, he goes on to say, let me show you all those things that the Pharisees are pointing out and all the ways that the religious people are telling you you must do and you got to do because you ain't Jewish enough because you're a Gentile and you just got to do a lot of stuff. And that new moon celebration, honestly, that's the easiest one to celebrate because if you really want to be Jewish, you got to start taking a knife to things. Things. dudes <laughs> he goes on to say these are a shadow if i say a shadow this is so good he says the shadow of things that were to come the reality however is found in christ he said all those rules all those things all those commandments all the law was a shadow it was pointing to jesus i went to sea world all my good stories start at sea world and um i went to sea world and he I went with my kids and my wife, and I looked 
my kids were falling. You know, and I got five boys, and we we rolled deep. You know, we wrote like we were a gang when we walked through SeaWorld, and um, and so. She's walking, and I saw a, a cart that was selling popcorn. Now, I'm a sucker for, like, fresh-cooked popcorn. Anybody else, like, I can smell it, and I'm like, do 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 I found it. Popcorn. And so I start walking towards the popcorn. I didn't tell my wife. And so I walked off because I got caught, you know. I just, I need it. Salt. <sighs> Butter. Just that crunch. Come on, y'all. Are you? Are y'all? Is anybody? Is anybody mouth watering right now? Just powerful. I think there's gonna be popcorn in heaven. So um, I'm gonna swim in popcorn. And so uh, what was I saying? Okay. So I walk off, and and I got. I started getting some popcorn, and my wife, you know, and it was fairly quick. So I went and paid for. I got my popcorn in. She kept walking with the kids, and I looked back, and she was gone. But I don't know if you guys have, have you gotten to this level in your relationship where you can kind of notice my, your, the, the, your wife's shadow or your husband's shadow? They have, like, a look in their shadow. And so I could, like, look back, and the shadow was so big because of my kids. We rolled so deep, right? Because we gang, you know, we the Grahovas, you know, we walk in. And, uh, and so I looked back, and there was this big shadow moving, and I just knew that was my family. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. And so I literally I got my popcorn, and I'm eating my popcorn, and I didn't even look up. I just started following the shadow. And I got to my family, and then I looked at him, and I said, I got myself some popcorn. And my wife's like, I didn't know you left. I'm like, I'm a person. We're married. And she goes, she goes, oh, okay. Now, what's funny about that story, like, you know what I didn't do? I didn't look at the shadow. And then when I got to her, I didn't keep staring at the shadow. I'm like, man, this, you got this good shadow, babe. This is awesome. I just want to stay next to your shadow. I got to make sure I follow the shadow. And if I follow the shadow, but no, I, when I got to the, what the shadow was pointing to, then I focused on what the shadow was pointing to, right? It would be silly for me to follow the shadow to my wife and then all of a sudden stand next to my wife and go, I don't really care about you. I care about your shadow. It's awesome. I like it. No. When I got to the thing that was casting the shadow, I focused on her. And what Paul was saying is he's saying, you got to be careful what these like religious people like to do is they like to make you focus on the shadow. Because it was always pointing to Jesus. So back then when they didn't have Jesus in the Old Testament, you, you had to focus on the shadow. God was trying to lead you somewhere. There was, a, there was a new people group. It was a new world. So there was a lot of rules because they were brand new to this thing. And so God had to figure out a way to point. And then I think he just finally, if I had to guess what God does, I think God goes, you know, I just, Jesus, let me just send him down there because y'all don't know what you're doing. And you're never going to do it. And you're never going to, the shadow's never going to fulfill what you really need. So let me send Jesus. So Paul's saying, be careful you don't, you don't get caught up into the, into, the, into the shadow of what's to come. 
and not the real thing. Legalism in and of itself is really, is really defined as this. It's saying, it's, it's saying it's the belief that you have to perform to be made right with God. Legalism in its very, very core back then for the culture, Greek and Roman culture, was it's God's laws plus my laws. So people would walk around and go, God has some laws, and they were good things, and they were founded in good principles. And then what people would do is they would find themselves caught not living up to God's laws, and they would create their own sets of rules to help them. Now, here's what's funny. They weren't bad. They actually were coming out of wisdom. It's kind of like, you know, them making a decision in their life. They had their own personal conviction. They said, hey, I can't, man, anytime I get around this certain looking pig, I like that pig and I want to eat that pork. So I can't eat that. God says, don't eat that. So I'm trying, I can't, so I'm not going to put the pig in the front pen. I'm going to put the pig in the back pen because I don't want to be tempted to kill it and eat it, right? What they would do is they would go, that's a good rule for them to stay holy and to follow God's laws. But when you made it legalistic is what you did is what you said is you walked around and you said, look, I don't keep my, my, pen, my pig in the front pen. I keep him in the back pen. And if you don't keep him in the front pen like I do, God's not going to like you. And you're not holy enough. And I'm better than you. Because I'm a back pen person. And so he said, be careful that you have not attached your laws whether they came out of good intention or bad, to God's laws and made them God's laws. So now, today, we do it with different types of things in the church. We do the same thing. Our gods, our ways of thinking, our, how we do it is we do the same thing with, with, with standards of living. Some of you can't handle watching rated R movies, and so what you do is you walk up and you say, since I can't, and I have a personal conviction about it, since I'm going to do it that way, you have to do it that way, and if you don't do it that way, you ain't holy. Oh, I didn't offend you enough? Okay, let's try another one. Um, uh, so you go, oh, I've had somebody come up, Pastor, I think King James should be the only ber- version of the Bible that this is conversations I have as a pastor that we, because if it, they say this statement, I say this growing up, it's so funny. They said, if it was good enough for Jesus, it was good enough for me. I've heard that literally King James version, except the King James version didn't come around until the 1500s. It went around. I don't understand your logic, but. It came out of a desire in your heart to just try to stay holy with God, and that's good. But don't make your conviction my conviction. And don't say I'm not holy enough because I read the like New International Version. <laughs> You're arguing about Bible translations when nobody even reads the Bible. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's a slip. Somebody, well, pastor, what kind of, I've had this, what, what does this church's stance, what's your personal stance on schooling? Should it be charter schools? Should it be public schools, private schools? Should we homeschool? I think we should homeschool only. I went to a church that they said, if you don't homeschool your kids, you're going to hell. So here's my official public stance on children education. Y'all ready? I think children should be educated. You should have a personal conviction, but don't. You should talk to your wife or your husband, and you should do it, and you should pray about it and have some counsel, but you should make the decision. And then guess what? Don't put your convictions on other people. If you're in this church and you do stuff like that, you won't last very long because I'll run you out of here. (laughs) In fact, I won't do it. Our family will. You won't make it because we don't like legalistic people. Neither did Jesus. Because they they said that they were basically saying Jesus wasn't enough. 
I need to be a little bit better to help him out. So you got to ask yourself the question, where am I legalistic? We're all legalistic somewhere, just so you know. So am I. We all have personal convictions that we, 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 maybe most of them probably came out of good parts of our heart. But be careful. He said, it's a ditch. It's a ditch. So God gives us, I like this. This is a good thing to, to write down. God gives us, when it, comes to, when it comes to his laws, okay, when it comes to his rules, when it comes to how he wants you to live, he gives you closed-handed principles with open-handed methods. So I'll give you an example. He says, I'm the only God you should worship. Have you ever noticed that he didn't tell you what kind of music to play? He didn't say what instrument. He didn't even tell us, like, what time of day. He didn't do any of that. You want to know why? Because he knew that you could use that as a rule to keep people from him. He says, only worship me. I'm God. How you all want to do that? Man, that's good. I figured it out. But as long as you're doing it to me. Close-handed, open-handed methods. He says you should train your children. He does not tell you whether or not it should be at a charter school in Stone Oak. If he would have said that, come on, how many of y'all, but that felt a little rigid. God wants you to think and use your relationship with him in a way that grows you to a different level. Uh, a, great, a great depiction of this is um, my pastor used to tell me, he said, you know, legalistic, legalistic people like to use their relationship with God. Think of it as a painting. God's trying to paint a masterpiece with you that's unique and one of a kind, and you're trying to do paint by numbers with him. So what's interesting is this is a paint by numbers thing. It's done with jewels, and this is my kid, and they do it for fun. And um, if you notice, he's done the corners, and it's long, and it's te- But you don't have to think about it. You know what I mean? You don't have to think about how to do this. You just put the color in the part that it says. You just put the box, you just check the box off, and you don't even have to think about what you're doing. You don't have to think about how you're growing. You don't have to think, be creative in any way. And so what oftentimes what legalistic people do is they trade paint by numbers. They trade, they trade a masterpiece for a paint by numbers set. This is a mass-produced piece. What's funny about this is this was an artistic masterpiece, one of a kind, until they mass-produced it. And what I've noticed is that inside of a museum, there's no paint by numbers hanging up. They're one of a kind art forms. They're, they're art pieces. They're... They're masterpieces that God, God is not a formula for you to figure out. He's a relationship for you to have. He said, Paul's saying, I, I, don't, I don't want you to cheapen it. So that leaves us with a conundrum. What is the right way? So you have two ditches. Paganism, legalism. Paul points out in the middle of those two scriptures of warning, he actually points out the right way. And it's actually the grace way. Which is really God plus nothing equals everything. It's Jesus did it all. You don't need to help him. You don't need to worship other people. You need no one else. You need nothing else. He said, it's finished. I love how he describes it. It's in verse 13. He says, when you were dead in your sins, he says, dead. Everybody say dead. dead. This is so good. I'm closing with this. He says, you were dead. You didn't make it. It didn't work. In your uncircumcision, he highlights one of the areas that legalistic people love to point out. They're always trying to cut you. <laughs> of your flesh. God made you alive with the Christ. With Christ. He's awesome. He forgave us of all of our sins. So good. Y'all are gonna, I'm not going to let you miss some of this stuff. Having canceled. Everybody say canceled. 
the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. It's such a good verse. You need to write that down, put that somewhere, put it on sticky note, wallpaper. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing. Everybody say triumphing. This is good. Over them by the cross. He says, listen. There's this thing that you have to understand as a Christ follower is that it's not paganism. It's not legalism to stay on the pathway that you need to stay on to get to your destination with Christ. You have to ride the, ra- the roadway and the freeway and the causeway of grace, which was simply this. It was God's unmerited, unearned gift of favor. It's a gift that you can't do so much to get it. We don't live for it. We live from grace. So you stay out of the ditches when you start to work your life through the filter of grace. And he highlights it. He says, first, your uncircumcision, your self-righteousness was dead. You tried. You worked it out. How did it work out for you? It didn't very well, did you? You wind up hurt, cut, bloody, and incomplete. Because this is typically what a life of a legalistic person looks like. You try, and you try, and then you just give up. It's never complete. You were dead. And then he goes on. He goes, because you, you missed it. I think Paul's a preacher. He gives a second point. He says, it's been canceled. Your debt has been wiped away. In fact, he uses language there in the Greek, actually. It's pretty interesting. The, the Greek language he uses there is another way of how scribes used to write down the Torah on parchment or dead animal skins. And their ink didn't have acid in it, so it didn't bite into the animal skins. And so if a scribe made a mistake, they would clean the whole thing. They would wipe it away. He used the same language. So he's basically saying, there's no way that my grace can't wipe away all of your issues. He wiped it away. He canceled. You had a debt. There was problems. And he wiped it away. And then I love it. He goes, actually goes on to say, he goes, then what he did was, is he took it away. So now there's nothing you can do to actually keep from God. There's no bad thing that his grace can't cover. So he says, I'm going to take it away and now I'm going to nail it to the cross. You don't even have the, we don't even have a way to run from God. Jesus keeps you close to him. Great language, right? Then, then I think he just kind of goes, you didn't get me. He goes, one last thing. He uses the word triumph. Now, remember, Paul was a Roman citizen. So he used the words, anything, anytime he uses this stuff, he uses it intentionally. He says, Jesus, God made a spectacle, and he, he, has, a, he has a triumph. Now, in the Roman world, if for you to have a triumph, you needed four things. Okay? You needed four things to have a triumph in battle. This is what it was. First, you needed to be the commander-in-chief. They didn't hand triumphs to people who were not the number one person in charge. So that you had to be a commander-in-chief. Second thing was this. He says you had to conquer a big city of at least 5,000 people. You needed to, it needed to be a big, big, everybody say big. Yeah, big triumph. You actually needed to conquer a whole lots of people. It couldn't be just a small little village. He says you had to, this is in order for you to get a triumph. It was literally an award that was given to a Roman soldier who was a commander chief then you had it had to be done completely it couldn't be halfway it couldn't you couldn't have just conquered part of the city it couldn't have been just some of it it needed to be finished completely everybody say completely Completely. i'm going somewhere with this and then last one he says then the troops had to come home come on church this is how jesus won he got a triumph 
He's the commander in chief. He conquered more than 5,000. He finished it completely on the cross when he said the words, it is finished. And one day, One day we come home. So Paul was fighting. He said, I'm contending for you. Fighting. He said, I want you to fall into a ditch. He said, I want you to be free in the grace of Jesus. And you need to ask yourself, are you living grace? Not that weird kind of greasy grace where you just, everything goes. Because that's not grace. But are you, are you, are you living from what Jesus did. Or you can look at it. This is kind of the side version. He's greater. Grace is greater than those things. And you can fall into those ditches so easily. If you're not careful, you can worship the things that can't bring you only what God could. And you couldn't do, you try to be good. You do good. You're, do, you're one of those do-gooders. And you, sometimes that'll keep you from church, right? Because when you do bad, you don't go to God. And he says, but if you just live in grace where you're not trying to be good and you're not trying to be God, you're just living with God. And his grace keeps you above the fold and you live and he's greater than because Jesus is personified in the message of grace. And that's my prayer for you. Maybe Paul's prayer for the church in Colossia. He said, don't fall into the ditch. Live with the grace of Jesus. And you'll get to your destination. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, today. I thank you that, man, what an amazing lesson that Paul had for our church. We look at it that he was writing to a different church, but we can learn from it because this is our church so much. It's just a different time. And I pray that today, God, we would learn to, to follow you. We would learn to rest in the message of grace, knowing that you have done it all. It is finished. You have the triumph.